And open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. Revelation 3, verse 1, our series is Strength for Today uh, and Hope for Tomorrow. Uh, Revelation 3, verse 1, and this is the Word of God. To the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few, yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has ears an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning that we have before us your truth, your word that is so certain. And so, Father, we stand today on every promise of your word, and we're asking for your Spirit's help now to grasp what you're saying in these verses, Father, to us as the church, Father, and how we are to proceed in following you. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. In 1674, Margaret Halcrow uh, married Henry Erskine, a Presbyterian minister of the Church of Scotland. Uh, sad, however, Margaret soon became gravely ill and was pronounced dead. Uh, Henry loved Margaret, Margaret and uh, mourned her deeply, and he buried her wearing her jewelry, including a very expensive ring. The local carpenter apparently was something of the funeral director because he was the one who made the coffins, he dug the graves, and he interred uh, the deceased. And when screwing down the lid on Margaret's coffin, he noted the rings on her finger and he said to himself, you know, that's a, a, a waste of a, a waste, a terrible waste. So after the service, the carpenter stays behind and when everybody else is finally gone, uh, he digs up Ms. Erskine and he removes the coffin lid and proceeds at that point to remove her jewelry. But the ring is stuck. So he decides to take his knife out and, and amputate the finger. And as the knife makes its cut, Margaret comes back to life. And um, she wakes up. She apparently had just been in a deep coma. Uh, the terrified carpenter ran for his life. And uh, leaving poor Margaret to get out of the coffin all by herself and make her way to the darkness home. When the maid answered the door, she thought uh, uh, she passed out at the sight of the mistress she thought was dead. Uh, but like Peter was, uh, Margaret's no apparition. They let her in, and um, she gets better. She becomes the mother of Ralph and Ebenezer Erskine, two ministers of the gospel there of the Church of Scotland. They were associates with, uh, with Whitfield. They corresponded with Jonathan Edwards and were used by God in the revival of the Church of Scotland. Uh, you know, there are probably several things we could say about that story, uh, but at least one would be this. Appearances can be deceiving, all right? Uh, Margaret looked dead, but she was very much alive. The church of Sardis looked alive, 
but they were very much dead. So, are we dead or alive? Let's go to the text and see. Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write. Sardis is 30 miles southeast of Thyatira. Tradition tells us it's the home of Aesop, uh, who had all those fables. It was a wealthy town. Gold nuggets were found floating in the river south of Sardis, which probably helped uh, give rise to the, to the legend of uh, King Midas because uh, he supposedly lost his golden touch by washing his hands in the spring uh, near the city. Sardis was the 16th century home of, uh, 6th century rather, BC home of King Crasus. He reigned for some 14 years and he too was wealthy. He had the Midas touch, if you will. He is credited with issuing the first uh, circulated gold coins that had a standardized uh, uh, purity for general use. Um, and uh, in Greek and Persian culture, the name of Crasus became a synonym for wealthy. Uh, was used proverbially for, for a number of centuries. We used to say somebody was as wealthy uh, as, as, as Howard Hughes. That's name's lost on some of you. So now we would say as wealthy as Jeff Bezos or, or Elon Musk. Uh, well, they would say for centuries as wealthy, as rich as Crasus. Sardis was devastated by a uh, 1780 earthquake. In reality, it never regained its uh, former glory. It lost the luster. But to the onlooker, it seemed an, uh, just a, an invincible city. It sat on the top of a hill that had three steep sides of cliffs, uh, th- which made it seem impregnable. And so as Jesus comes, what characteristics does he bring out of the first chapter into the second chapter? Well, notice what it says. The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, we saw in chapter 1, those seven spirits represent the Holy Spirit. Of course, the seven stars we saw represent the messengers to the churches there, uh, the seven churches. And so the point would be this. Uh, Jesus, has, a, as the Spirit, has a penetrating knowledge of the churches. And he also has supernatural strength for the churches. And that's important when we look at this analysis here from Jesus. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you were dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Now that's a a stunning evaluation, and it should really cause all of us to stop and take pause. Uh, Like the city itself, from all outward appearances, the church looks strong and active. It says it had a good reputation. It literally says it had a good name um, in the community. A reputation for spiritual life. Um, but the question is, are they living up to their Christian name? They look alive, but like the fading glories of the city around them, appearances can be deceiving because they're dead. They just didn't know it. Uh, and as, as God told Isaiah, the people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me. They were deluded about their spiritual experience and ministry. Now the question is, how does this happen? Um, 
And it doesn't say. You notice what's missing from this letter. There's no, no warning about false prophets. Uh, uh, there's, uh, there's no uh, uh, persecution described here. We're not told. It's just a spiritual deadness within. I suppose you know the expression, let sleeping dogs lie. Well, that's what Satan's doing. He's just leaving them alone. They just have spiritual atrophy. And the result is they are sleeping. Sleeping unto death. They've forgotten that that God's people are engaged in a spiritual battle. Now here's we have history's lesson with this city. History that Jesus knew well. In the 6th century, King Acrasus had engaged in battle with King Cyrus, yet that Cyrus from Persia who sent the Jews back from exile to, uh, to uh, Israel. And at Cappadocia uh, in six, uh, 546, rather, Cyrus came with his army uh, and he engaged Acrasus in battle. They fought to a draw. Winter was coming, so Acrasus pulled up back to Sardis and he sent his army home for the winter. Uh, Cyrus seized that opportunity. He came and attacked in a fight outside the city. Cyrus's camels chased off uh, Crassus's prized horses. Um, uh, and so Crassus withdraws into the city. Remember, there are those sheer cliffs on three sides. And so for 14 days, Cyrus lays siege to Sardis. He offers a reward to anybody who will figure out how they can get into the city. Uh, and so a soldier named Hyrides saw a, a Sardian soldier drop his helmet over the edge and watch as he climbed down the cliffs uh, to retrieve his helmet. He made a mental note of the, of the soldier's path, the small footholds uh, that an agile soldier could use that no one could see. And so that night, um, Hyrides takes a small group of, of elite Persian warriors up the cliff they follow the same path, use the same crevices, and at the top, the guards are asleep. They're confident that no one coming up that, come up that way and take the city. So the Persian troops simply open the front gate, in comes the Persian army, and King Croesus surrenders without a fight. And then history repeats itself. In the third century, the Roman general Antiochus, same scenario, climbs the cliffs, and finds the, uh, the soldiers of Sardis sleeping. Hence, the first of the five commands in the remedy, wake up and strengthen what remains is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Wake up. Realize what the situation is. Realize the danger here. Jesus' specific indictment is that their works are not yet complete uh, before God. In other words, they're not daily applying the gospel to their lives for the purpose of God sanctifying them. Um, Nor are they carrying out the ministry of God, uh, enabling the advance of God's kingdom. They're going through the motions. They're plagued by indifference. Nearby Sardis, there were hot springs that were supposed to have power literally to give life to the dead. Uh, uh, and an ironic note 
for a city whose church is dead. So the first step would be, one, just be aware of the problem. Do not assume all is well. That's why we get annual physicals from the doctor in hopes of becoming aware of something that we may not have noticed. And then the command is strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains is if there's anything left of affection for Christ. Now, how do we do that? Well, the third command is remember what we've heard uh, and received. Remember what God's Word says. Focus on a relationship with Christ. Deuteronomy 8 starts this way, verse 2. Remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That He might humble you, testing you to know what's in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. The first generation of the church 40 years before had received God's Word. They'd obviously believed it. They'd practiced it. A church was born. Now the Sardis church again needs to focus on the Word of God. Yes, it's something we emphasize all the time. It's what our brother Broadus was talking about. Sometimes I think maybe to the point you just might want to tune it out. But the foundation of the Christian life is this book. It's what we believe. It's what we build our lives on. There are no shortcuts. There are no programs we can install to get around this book. Uh, Jesus, in these letters, is preparing his church for the persecution that is present and is to come uh, as we move through history to his return. And he's trying to warn us that any church that gets away from this book faces spiritual death. Any church that moves from this book to the stories and experiences of people as their God, rather than the truth of this book, faces spiritual death. It's precisely the error of the church today when it comes to the confusion about sexual, human sexuality. The church now values story, subjective experience, over the objective truth of God's Word. They value psychology and sociology over theology. They value fitting in with the world over standing alone on every promise of God's Word. And so the fourth command here is keep. It has the idea of treasuring something. In other words, treasure God's Word and do it. Do the works that God's prepared ahead of time for us to do, Ephesians tells us. Can I say there's nothing wrong with using the word obey in the church? No, it makes people nervous. But we sang it this morning. We tricked you. All right. Trust and obey. True faith always leads to obedience. Always. And finally, he says, repent. Obedience is rooted in repentance. It's having a change of heart about our sin and deciding to pursue God rather than pursue the things of this world. Yes, it involves singling out whatever sin it is that I struggle with. It involves my entire attitude towards sin. And in place of sin, pursuing Jesus. It's discovering Chalmers' expulsive power of our affection for Christ. So we pursue Jesus instead of pursuing our sin. Repentance will flow out of love for Christ and hatred of our sin. And may I say, happiness does follow obedience. It really does. 
And it warns us, if we will not heed this remedy and wake up, Jesus will come like a thief in the night. He'll come when we're sleeping. He'll come when we're not watching. Uh, Just like the city of Sardis. We'll not know that day when he's coming. But the penetrating perspective of Jesus also sees that there's a a remnant here. Pick it up in verse 4. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they're worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I will never forget her, nor her name. We arrived in this tiny nowhere village in Honduras after we traveled for several hours. It was probably the smallest place where we set up a medical clinic. Uh, like the other days, the, the uh, temperature soared into the hundreds. Um, we watched as the poor and dirty, bedraggled Hondurans gathered, with one exception. Clothed in a sparkling white dress was a woman named Concepcion. Uh, and although nobody had asked her to, she was determined to see who would be seen, and she was going to determine the order they would be seen in. Uh, her authoritative and uh, voice commanded attention, as well as her white dress. And her concern for her people was obvious. Like Concepcion, a few names in Sardis stand out because they're clothed in white. The white points to purity. They're not dirty because they're not stained by sin. Like Isaiah's sermon, they've heard the good news that though their sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. To be sure, they had been stained by sin. But you know what Paul told the Corinthians? Do not be deceived. Neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. The result is the amazing promise of verse 4. And that is that we will walk with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? That we're worthy, it says. Not because we're good, but because of what Jesus has done for us. Not only that, but the ones of us who conquer by the grace of God through repentance from sin and faith in Jesus Christ will never have our names blotted out of the, the book of life. You know, one of the prayer requests of the Jewish synagogue as the first century drew to an end was for God to blot out the Nazarenes from the book of life. That's the believers in Christ. And Jesus' intention here is not to say that that's really a possibility, but it's rather give an assurance to us. Once we belong to Jesus, we belong to Jesus forever. And then notice Jesus will, will confess or declare our, our name before God the Father in the heavenly court. When I was in high school, the state legislature in West Virginia passed a, a student education bill and the plan was to have Governor Moore come to one of the area high schools and sign the bill surrounded by students, but evidently a schedule filled up for the day, and so they, they summoned a student from each area high school uh, to come to the Capitol to surround the governor at his desk as he signed the bill. So I went to represent good old Nitro High School, um, and uh, about a half a dozen of us were eventually escorted into his office, 
by his administrative assistant, who then uh, introduced us one by one by name to the governor. It's a real privilege for a, uh, just a seven-year-old kid. Uh, let me tell you, here's a better privilege with a better introduction. Jesus himself will introduce us by name to God the Father in heaven. Doesn't get better than that, folks. Do you see what he's offering? And it's all about his grace to us. He's the founder of every blessing. What a privilege. Uh, See, Jesus is motivating those who are spiritually dying, but pointing them to the blessings of those who are walking with Christ. That's why we want to listen. That's why we need to hear. We want to be among those who walk with Jesus in the light of his word. Those who sit at his feet. Those who do what he says. Those who go where he sends. And so what about us? Are we dead or alive? The clear warning is, do not be presumptuous when it comes to our faith. You know, as as Paul writes, we're to make our calling and election sure. Make sure we're trusting truly Christ for salvation. That we're not trusting ourselves, our efforts, we're not trusting our parents, but trusting Jesus alone. And let me just say, if you have any uncertainties about your faith, See me or any member of the staff or one of the elders or any of the godly women. All of us would be delighted to to talk to you about the certainty of faith and knowing for certain you're trusting in Christ. Because this is about self-examination. And it's for all of us. It's about looking at our own hearts. It's about strengthening our faith. It's about remembering what Christ did for us at the cross. Uh, Remembering God's word says... Yes, it is by grace. It's about salvation, a gift of God to us that we do not earn, we cannot earn. But having received grace, it's also about obedience. Obedience is the path to holiness, and that's what keeping God's word is about. And no, it's not always easy. We have a a propensity to sin. We always have to battle for that. Uh, We tend to settle for spiritual activity instead of spiritual intensity. As Phil Newton warns, uh, the treadmill of activities can never substitute for knowing and living out the gospel of the crucified and risen Christ. When we do fall, we must repent of our sin. We must tell God we're sorry. And he forgives us and he picks us up. And onward we go in our clean white clothes. That's why we sing, here's my heart, Lord. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And he does it because the day's coming when we get the best introduction ever. Walking with Jesus, our path leads to the throne of God, and Jesus introduces us by name to the Father. What a day that will be. Because you see, should Jesus tarry, the day's coming for every single one of us that we will look like Margaret Halcrow lying in that coffin. We will look really, really dead. Uh, Anybody seeing us will see the appearance of death. But the reality is the appearances can be deceiving. We will look dead, but we will look, we actually be more alive than ever before. 
and will already be introduced to the Father in heaven. What a hope we have. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful to you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, Father, we who are sinners are made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. It's a gift you give us. So, Father, we stand before you given. Father, my prayer is that each person here today would take a look at their hearts to be sure they're alive. Father, to be sure they're trusting in Christ for their salvation. And that, Father, there would be in us, Lord, a desire to do what your word says, that we would remember God's word, that we would keep it, that we would do it. So, Father, give us that power of the Holy Spirit to do your will, we pray. Father, somebody here that doesn't yet know the joy of knowing Jesus, does not have the certainty of one day being introduced to Jesus Christ. Lord, today, draw them to Jesus, we pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.